0: Let's do it.
1: Well, good morning
2: and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Got every one of our lines wide open, and this is the perfect time to call in. We can get you right at the top of the list and Spend a little time answering your question.
3: That's right. And should you happen to think of maybe something after the show goes off the air or later on during the week or whenever, you can always send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and he'll get it back to you within twenty four hours. Do that via our website.
2: Yeah, it's very, very simple. Just go to website and there's a contact bar on in the menu on every single page and also at the bottom of the screen on every page. Just hit contact, a little form you fill out, ask for your name and what kind of car you got, how many miles you got on, a couple of options like that. Fill that out, send it to me, and I'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. Guaranteed. guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Even when the shop's on vacation. That's right. And there's lots and lots and lots of other things on there as well. Of course, you got vehicle questions, which you can go in there, and there's well over 800 of those that have already been answered. And that's going to give you a short-to-the-point type of an answer. Correct. And then we've got our detailed topics, which is probably where a real wealth of information is. I put one on there this morning on wheel alignment, and it more or less follows up on last week's. Last week, I wrote one wheel alignment, toe, and tracking. Uh This week, it's on wheel alignment, caster, and camber. And it goes really, really in-depth on what is caster, what is camber, why they're there, how do they interact with each other, in other words, a lot of folks think that if you have an alignment and everything is set to specification, everything is going to be good.
3: No, well, that's not true. Not so. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> and unless
2: you read that article, you're not going to know why. But see, right. a specification is actually a wide range. It may be a degree or more wide. What a trained technician does is sets things within that based on a number of factors. Number one is a test drive. How much offset does he need to make the car drive straight? Number two is how the tires are wearing Prior to the alignment, mm-hmm. because every car will be within specifications, but they're going to be different points within the specification.
3: Exactly. You can be higher
2: to the top, lower to the bottom. And right. the relationship of one wheel to the other will also be different That's on right. every car because your custom setting. The alignment that's
3: what alignment is
2: that is what a technician does otherwise you could just have a machine you plug in it would do it right <laughs> both of us know that don't uh, work
3: <laughs> tell you what i, I hear it at least once a week yeah you know the car still pulls and it's it's in spec
2: that's right so it's not set right just not aligned right so anyway that'll explain to you why that is lots and lots of good information and there's tons of other ones as well one on transmission leaks and on and on and on i've received a number of emails lately that said our Articles seem to be getting better and better, so not trying to brag on myself, but I've been putting a lot of effort into that. So I'm think you ought to go in there and at least peruse around, see what you think. Lots of good information. www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone line with Burl. Good morning, Burl.
0: Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I spoke to you last week about power fluid change.
2: Okay, yes, sir. I haven't done it yet. Okay,
0: but you said extract it and fill it three times. Yes, sir. Okay, you're co-host there said uh run motor for to
2: turn the wheel yes sir okay do you do that
0: after excuse me do you do that after every fill
2: yes sir yes sir yes sir okay and well how far do you
0: turn the wheel
2: just well you don't want to go all the way to the stop and hold it and, and bear down on it but from one extent to the other okay
0: kind of but but continually huh
2: yes sir yes just slowly and continually if you jerk the wheel real fast you can ingest air into the system, which is going to give you problems. Well, I had
0: suspected that. You yeah, know.
2: you want to just slowly turn it all the way to a stop, but don't hold it against the stop. Because no, when you do that,
0: you... Uh, when you get to the stop, just, yeah, go, just back. go back. Yeah, just right. go back the
2: other way, very, very slowly. And what that does, it allows the fluid to circulate through the rack and pinion and through the yeah, hoses. okay.
0: And that's, that's boring.
2: <laughs> well, it just depends on how you look I mean, at it. I always it, thought it was pretty entertaining myself. Yeah, but, yeah. Do,
0: it, do, it, do it continual for that 10 minutes.
2: No, no, it doesn't take 10 minutes, but you need to do it probably about 10 times.
0: I'm sorry? About oh, 10 times. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, not 10 minutes, no. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'll no, no,
2: on. you you know, as you go ahead, suck out the old stuff, put in the new stuff, crank it up, run it about 10 times back and forth, turn yeah. it off, do it again, and do that three times. Okay. So you know, it may, may take you 30 seconds to a minute to, to do it 10 times, well, I, I guess. Understand. But yeah, I understand. not much had, more than that. I had it mixed up. Yes, sir, okay. but that's going to purge. The vast majority of the fluid, you, you can never, ever get 100%. Oh, I can, uh,
0: this is
2: just a, but it's not necessary to get 100%. Yeah, you know, this is just a maintenance system. That's a, correct. not giving me any problems. That's correct. i got 100,000 miles. Oh, so yeah. It's good maintenance. It's cheap. It's something yeah. you can do yourself. And
3: that's since something have, most no, people don't even think of the power steering fluid. Right. That's right. one of the well, most missed until, fluids until under the hood. Until the
2: pump goes out or the rack goes out. And that's and that's it. Take a then mind. they think about it. <laughs> well, since I know how to do it, you want to give me a job? There you go. You want a job. <laughs> yeah.
0: okay. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, man. All right, you have a good weekend. Bye you bye.
2: Bye-bye. Bye uh, bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive I we would love to have you. Come, come on, on by, by, huh? That's right. Just come on by. We'll <laughs> line you up and answer your questions. <laughs> Do it in person or in There you go. Of course, it might be a whole lot easier to call in yeah. than to come yeah, down here. Yeah, you have here. me
3: running in and out the yeah. door here in the hallway. That's answering- right. Come on,
2: climb up to the fifth floor. The- <laughs> 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 I have people all the time. I ask, said, do y'all do that radio show? Do you do that from the shop?" I said, "No, no, we do that in the studio. Yeah, oh, Saturday that that morning. That's right. That was a good question about the power steering fluid, and I think, like you said, that's probably one of the most overlooked fluids on a car. It
3: is. It really is because you don't think about it. Yeah. You know you use it every day. Every time you get in the car, you're using it, and a lot of times they're hidden away. Or there's a reservoir that sits off to the side. You don't think about changing the fluid in it. Most right. people think about changing the oil, changing the transmission fluid, and checking the brake fluid. That's the three most checked fluids under the hood. The power steering fluid gets forgot about. And it what does. happens is it dissipates the mm-hmm. additives in it, and it doesn't work as well. Right. The seal well,
2: conditioners all start to go away, so your seals get hard. Right. Next thing you know, you got a leak. and
3: and if you're having to add power steering fluid, you have a leak somewhere. That's the
2: problem. Yeah, it,
3: because that is a closed system, and it's not gonna the, the level's not gonna change in it.
2: Right. Power steering is like most things on your car; it shouldn't require regular addition of fluid. Exactly. It's sort of like your coolant; you should never have to add coolant. It's a sealed system; it's not going to evaporate; it's not going to go away. If you're having to add coolant to your car, there's a leak somewhere. There's a leak somewhere. That's right. And same thing with power steering fluid; it's not going to use power steering fluid. Now, I guess the one exception is always an exception that makes every rule, but brake fluid is going to go down over time because as the brake pads and shoes wear, the cylinders are going to expand, which is going to take additional fluid in. Exactly. So your brake fluid level will drop a certain amount, but if it starts dropping a lot, then it's a problem also because you got a leak. So anytime your brake fluid level drops you want to at least check the brakes because at very least you've probably got some worn brake pads or worn brake shoes exactly and you could possibly have a leak but like you said the first time folks think about power steering is they get in there one day and either they turn the wheel and it's hard to turn or they turn the wheel and it starts going
3: making noise
2: rah, or they see a big puddle under the car right and now it's turned into a very expensive problem because most rack and pinion units today are probably four hundred on up to maybe eight nine hundred dollars just for the part,
3: and then there's several hours of labor to change them.
2: Some of them take up to three to four hours just to get it in and out of there. Some plus, of them are less, but plus an alignment, plus another front end alignment because when you change the rack and pinion, you got to change all that. And then there's a pump, and there's some hoses, and there's other components in there. That's right. So. Very expensive thing. Also, on a lot of your Toyota and Lexus, some of the vehicles, the power steering pump also runs the cooling fans. They have hydraulic cooling fans on some of those. exactly, Which adds even more expensive components to the system. So, not a bad idea at all to go ahead and change that fluid out every so often.
3: Just make sure you use correct fluid for the, the application.
2: Correct fluid for the application. And it's something most people could easily do themselves. Oh, they easily. And save a whole lot of money. Let's see if we can catch some of our phone lines. Here we got John online. Good morning, John. Uh, yes, sir. I've got an '06 F-150 okay. uh,
0: Ford with yes, sir. a 4.6-liter V8, okay. 75,000 miles uh-huh. on it, and I'm getting a click and a clang when I put it in drive or reverse after I start it. Okay, and it seems you know sounds like something's bouncing around or like a rock spinning around on a fan or something. Really, and I've had had uh, hard start problems with this truck since I bought it. Mm-hmm. You, but I've discovered if you turn, if you turn the key on mm-hmm. twice and just let yes, it sit there mm-hmm. for a second, it'll start right up. Yes, sir. But my issue right now is I've got this cling clang when I put it in drive or mm-hmm. reverse after I
2: first start it. What does the noise sound like it's coming from, John? Is it behind you? It sounds like it's directly up under me. Up under you? I would first suspect a bad U-joint because they've had a number of problems with that on that truck. They've also had a number of problems with the rear differential gears wearing out on them, so much so that Ford's revised the spec on the oil that they use in the rear end, and they've come out with a replacement gear set to address that. What you could do, if you can get someone to sit in the truck, put their foot firmly on the brake, you lay down kind of outside the truck because you don't want anybody running over you, obviously, but just look on a truck and look at that drive shaft. When they move it from reverse to drive and see if the shaft is clunking back and forth like it's got a bunch of slack in it okay in order if you see the yoke on the transmission move but the shaft does not move a whole bunch it's probably the u-joint if the entire shaft turns a good deal and the rear differential doesn't it's probably in the rear differential now you could also if you had a lift of course you could get it up and you can lock the brakes get in there and turn the shaft by hand and accomplish it a little bit better But Ford has had more than a little bit of trouble with both of those issues. The original truck came with 75W90 gear all in the rear end because Ford was trying to increase the fuel mileage by putting a thinner oil in there. What they've done is they've backed off on that, and they've come out with a 75W140 oil rating, and it protects it a little bit better. And they have actually made a replacement gear set available at a much reduced price. They didn't recall it like they should have. They don't give it to you for free, but they did reduce the price on the parts. Gear set from Chevrolet or Chrysler is probably eight, 900 bucks, and Ford's selling this one for about 250 bucks. So they know they got a problem. Right, okay.
0: Now, what about the hard start? Have y'all had any mini oh, issues yeah.
2: with Ford? Oh, absolutely. It's,
0: it's like
3: oh, hard yeah. to start? Constantly.
2: They got the goofiest setup on that thing. John, what they've got is an electronic module that controls the fuel pump. And what it does, instead of putting a mechanical regulator on the fuel rail, like everybody else in the world, some rocket scientists decide to put a sensor on the fuel rail with a little module back there that controls the speed of the fuel pump. And it doesn't work very good. It bleeds, the pressure bleeds back to the tank, doesn't have fuel available. But like you said, if you cycle ignition a couple of times, it usually starts right up. The fix is probably worse than the problem. Oh, really? Yeah. What would be the fix? <laughs> New fuel pump and or possibly module. Okay.
0: All right. All right. Well, I'll give it a whirl. If not, I'll bring it in.
2: Okay, John. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a quick little break. Warren, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best.
0: Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to AGCO for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at AGCO can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too- A general inspection each year would be
1: great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat-up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends.
0: And thank goodness for Agco. Kate?
1: Kate? Are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sounds like a general inspection from AGCO can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle.
0: Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the
2: place to go. Join us, is the Automotive Hour. your host, Louis Altanzan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we've got Warren's been patiently holding. Good morning, Warren. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. i am got a Gallant, Bitchy Gallant mm-hmm. 2000, and the
0: carpet on the driver's side stays wet when the air conditioner's running okay. in the summertime, and mm-hmm. I've put it in the shop twice,
2: and they claim they back blew the a yeah. rain line, I guess. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. No avail is do well let me ask you this warren when they do blow that out does it stop for a little while and then come back or does it just never help it, it helps for a little while okay then it again. yeah that's fairly common warren and what happens is that it's got a relatively small drain so when you start to get debris in there it will go down and plug that drain up now when you blow it out all you're just blow the trash back up into the case so as soon as it starts dripping immediately it's going to start trying to plug drain up again and sooner or later it's going to clog it up again i guess the fix If there's a fix, you'd either have to go in and try to modify that drain, maybe make it a little bit bigger, or you're going to have to get in, pull the blower motor and stuff out, and clean the entire inside of that case. Because as long as it's full of debris, dust, and what have you, it's just going to keep plugging up. What you do is treating the symptom when you're blowing it out. And what's even worse is that when they're blowing it out, they're blowing everything back up into the area where it's coming out of. Right. You see, they're just blowing it back into the drain. Well, it's a pan in there under the evaporator core. <clears throat> evaporator core is dripping constantly because it's taking moisture out of the car. That's what makes you comfortable, it's removing humidity. It builds up this pan. Well, as it goes out to the drain, it's going to pick up this debris, and eventually it's going to plug that hole back up again. Okay. So what I would try to do is first look at it and see if there's a way to possibly enlarge that drain a little bit because it is relatively small in that car. Not a 100% sure there is, but maybe there is. Another okay. thing you can do a lot of times is put a nipple, like a little piece of tubing nipple, on that drain. Because what happens when you're going down the road, you got 60, 70-mile-an-hour wind blowing, and sometimes it can blow into that drain and actually force the water back up into the pan, which makes the situation worse. I got you. Chrysler had a real problem with that, and we started putting a little nipple on the end of there, and that helps a great deal. Okay. Last thing is, like I said, you can take something like the blower motor out where you can get access to that case get in there and just physically clean it real good, get all the dust and trash out, even take a little hose, a little slow, slow running hose, get in there and wash it and kind of scrub and wash the pan as best you can get to it because it's kind of hard to get to. But something like that would probably be necessary to affect a more permanent fix. The only other thing you can do is go in there like they've been doing and clean it out every so often and just put up with it. Yeah, okay. Well, it's definitely been a problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, it it is. But uh, I think if you try, maybe get a little rubber nipple or something, or get somebody to put a little rubber nipple on it, that's helped us with a lot of them when they have a okay. continuing problem. Okay.
0: All right. Well, that sounds I might try that then. I yeah.
2: Try it. it. Thank you. Okay, man. Bye bye. Bye bye. Right. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? The dripping of water into the cars, that's kind of a, I guess, some cars have more trouble with it than others, but it's sort of a universal problem across the board. It's more or less a, Problematic system.
3: It really is because of what it's doing.
2: And what the car companies did back in the nineties is they started putting a cabin filter on the intake air, so that it would filter the air to keep the debris out of the pan and prevent problems.
3: Of, off the, um, which
2: was an absolutely excellent idea. Every other air conditioner in the world, the one at your house, has the one a at filter. your office, always has a filter. Right. Well, it was a really good idea to do it, but they didn't do a very good job at all of telling people these were in there. So the vast majority of people would not change them, and then they would end up clogging up the filter, and, of course, it wouldn't blow or burn the blower motor up. Then along, I guess, in the mid-2000s, they went through this big old cut where they wanted to try to brag about how low the maintenance was on their cars. So So they took them out. They just took them out. Now, yeah, we take that off our maintenance schedule, so therefore it's cheaper to keep our cars. (laughs) They've done that with just part after part after part. They took the fuel filters off, put them in the tank. That way you can't have it on the maintenance schedule, so it makes our maintenance schedule look better. Gotcha. It's not in anybody's best interest because the filter is a sacrificial element that protects the rest of the system. So we're just going to take it off, and that way we can say we cut our maintenance costs. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing with the, with the cabin air filters. The vast majority of your American manufacturers have discontinued them. I know, like on Chevrolet, I think in 03, they quit putting them in the pickup trucks in the Suburbans and stuff. Yeah. Toyota still uses them quite a bit. Most of your Toyotas and Hondas still have them. I
3: tell you, it's a great idea. It
2: is. And you, I mean, how often do you see a Toyota Honda dripping on the floor?
3: Not hardly. Almost ever.
2: You know, almost never. And that's really more of a problem with American cars than anything else. Right. Some of your Jap cars, like your Mitsubishi and all, don't have the cabin filter in there, and you're going to have that problem. Now, one thing, too, if you allow the cabin filter to plug up completely, it will make that problem even worse. Oh, exactly. Because now you're not getting enough airflow through there to keep it dried out. So... uh, right it it builds up and that's true with any type of filter filter is a sacrificial element what it's doing is it's basically giving its life to protect something more expensive something better and more expensive right whether it's a transmission filter or a fuel filter or an air filter or anything else by doing its job it's going to plug up which means it's going to have to be changed exactly Uh, if you got a filter that doesn't ever plug up you got a problem (laughs) 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 guy asked me one time he says man why don't they make an oil filter that that would filter out Smaller particles, because most all filters take out a 45 micron particle, but most damage is done by particles in the three micron range. Right. So why don't they make a filter take out three micron p- particle? I said, well, they could do that, but you'd either have to change it every week, or it'd have to be as big as a car. Right. <laughs> yeah. And people don't even change the ones that they got now. So what it is, they compromise. Say, well, we're gonna make the holes bigger in it, so it will take out some of the stuff, but it won't plug up too often because
3: if it plugs up, it bypasses and doesn't do anything at all.
2: It does absolutely no good at all. There is a bypass on your oil filter, and that's another problem with these extended oil changes. People will put a certain kind of oil in there and say, oh, man, I can go 25,000 miles. Well, that's great.
0: The oil will
3: make it that far.
2: It might. It might. And, and, but the liquid contaminants are going right through the filter and that's right. keeping the engine alive. And the other debris and stuff that's going into the filter, if it plugs that filter, then the bypass is going to open, so you're getting unfiltered oil in the engine for
3: However many thousand miles. That's
2: right. Well, and (laughs) my question has always been to the people who say that is, why? What have you gained? You saved a couple of oil changes and you're risking a $10,000 engine. Right. Then the the risk reward is just not there, you know?
3: Exactly. They had to justify it because the price of the the synthetic (laughs) is so expensive.
2: Well, that's right. And I would really much rather see a man run conventional motor oil and just change it a little more often. I think he's way better off. Because the only way to get the liquid contaminants out of your engine is a drain. Is a drain and fill. That's right. Or if you drive it a long enough period of time, the temperature of the oil rises to a certain point. Those are going to boil off. They're They're going to turn to steam and the PC system will suck them out. Well, that's great. That's
3: the way it's supposed to work.
2: That's exactly right. I was talking to a fella at the shop Friday, I think it was, he picked his vehicle up. And he was asking me about oil changes. And he says he's never had any kind of oil related problem but he goes almost 100 miles a day
3: right 50 miles there 50 miles back yeah, he's that's that's perfect driving putting for an 100 miles
2: a day on his car on his vehicle and he's going six thousand, seven thousand miles on all changes and so am not having any trouble you're not going to have any trouble
3: right because that's, the system's working like it's supposed that's right, to
2: ideal conditions but the vast majority of folks drive three to five miles per trip as exactly. far as they go myself i get up in the morning i go to work it's about five miles then the car sits there all day long in the afternoon, I crank it up, and I drive it back home. Then it sits all night, five miles at a time. That all never gets to operating temperature long enough to boil out the liquid.
3: That is severe conditions. It's
2: severe conditions, and that's the conditions most people are under. They get up, they go to the grocery store, they go to church, they go to the beauty shop, they right. go wherever they're going. Little short runs. Little short trips because most people don't like doing business 25 miles from the house, obviously. Yeah. So you're going to get a little routine of places you go. And that is a real problem, particularly for retired folks who don't go to work every day because most time they have built a little routine of convenience for themselves, which is exactly what I would do myself. Uh-huh. But they've found all the places nearby that can do the things they want to do, so they never really go very far.
3: Right, and, and sometimes they don't go every day.
2: Yeah, and very often they've got two cars because there's generally a man and a wife. And right. They both want to have a car, which I understand that as well. But the point is if you don't drive it very much at all, that you got to know that, that is severe conditions so you got to go to the severe schedule right because even the insane manufacturers that tell you you can go 7000 miles on all change will say under severe conditions it's 3
3: right even they're, they say that they're here to sell you another car well
2: that's true you know <laughs> they want
3: to sell you another car
2: that's absolutely true
3: they don't want you to keep your old one
2: let's see if we can catch glenn before the break good morning glenn yes, good sir. morning i heard you talking about cabin air filter yes I sir have a 09 Hyundai elantra yes sir uh, it's in the back of the glove compartment. Okay. not a difficult thing to change yourself. Mm-hmm.
3: I haven't actually worked on a Hyundai. Yeah, we don't I'm not real sure. do if a it's,
2: great number of those at it all. but
3: should be listed out in the manual, shouldn't
2: it? Yeah, yeah it generally, does. your owner's manual will tell you how to get to it. Most yeah. of the time, they're not too terribly hard. I mean, they're designed to where you can change it. It's not like changing an air filter where you just take a bolt off and it's right there, but they're usually not overly difficult. Yeah, it, it tells me how. I just wonder to it takes them rod loose and let the glove compartment door come down yes uh-huh. sir. exactly if you kind of push in on you know take it open your door but don't put it all the way against the stop and just push in on those little rods and generally it'll flop on down all the way then you can reach up in there and get to it and like i said i haven't worked on enough Hyundai's to tell you for sure we do some alignments on them we do some brakes on them and all that but i don't do a lot of maintenance on them but i can't imagine it being too difficult now if it's something you just don't want to fool with yourself you could obviously bring it into the shop we could do it for you. It would be a very minimal charge to do it. Okay. Because it's, it's nice. not a real difficult thing to do. Thank you. All right. So All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more.
0: Got to run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early, and they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah. Yeah. A general
1: inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money. And her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up. So you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April. So put that on your calendar. And I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And EGCO saved me thousands of dollars. Paul. Paul, are you
0: listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie, (laughs) I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
2: I'm your host, Lewis Albazan with Mr. Brian Terry, lead tech from ACO Automotive. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any question you might have. If you having trouble with your car, just give us a call. We'll try to give you some advice, point you in the right direction.
3: Get you going again.
2: That's right. And a lot of times, that's really all a person needs to save themselves a considerable amount of money is just a little piece of advice. I know a lot of times folks who come into the shop who have I I guess things have more or less gotten out of hand for them. Uh They've done something and it turned to something else and turned to something else. And looking at their problem or analyzing the problem, you can see a point where if they had just got a little bit of proper advice at one point, it could have saved them thousands of dollars.
3: And you know, you said the right thing there Mm -hmm. proper advice.
2: Yeah, because so much misinformation. There
3: is. There's a whole lot of just wrong information.
2: With the internet, it's made information. Vastly, vastly available to everybody. But what you got to remember when you're going on the Internet, just because somebody says it's so, don't make it so.
3: Oh, exactly. Who
2: is this speaking? Because I have perused through different forums and stuff, and I see people touting absolutely wrong advice mm-hmm. quite frequently. And all the folks on that forum are like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm going to do that. You know? Yeah. But- who is this guy (laughs) (laughs) that You you don't know What's his qualifications and you don't know any of these things. So you have to make sure that you're getting the right kind of advice because boy, if you get the wrong piece of advice, you can just really, really go off and spend a ton of money on stuff you don't need. I had a good customer who emailed me earlier this week and he was asking me about a Volvo with a code. And of course, Tom, well, I don't work on European cars as Uh far as check engine lights. I'm not real familiar with it, but it was a some kind of a fuel pressure circuit code, fuel pressure sensor circuit code, and he was saying, "Well, you think we should change the fuel pump or change? Well, a circuit code." is generally going to involve something electrical exactly. And not the pressure side of it. Exactly. Because if it still runs good and you're not getting any additional codes, like, for instance, you're not getting a lean code or a rich code, you're not cutting out, you're not hard to start or any of that, chances are the fuel pressure is good. This is a circuit code. Mm-hmm. Now, a circuit code can come from totally unrelated things. I know on Fords, they'll set a fuel pump circuit code if the DPFE sensor is bad. Right. Totally unrelated has absolutely nothing to do with it. But when that sensor shorts out, freaks the computer out, the first thing it throws out is some circuit codes.
3: And you can only imagine how many fuel pumps get changed oh, because man. of that. I
2: mean, you can go in there and start changing parts and I mean you could really spin yourself into oblivion and never even get close to the original problem.
3: And maybe even create additional problems on top of what you had originally.
2: Well, that's right. As you well know The situation with parts today is just absolutely deplorable. Oh, it is. It's terrible. Even if you're buying name brand premium parts from the OEM manufacturer, you're going to have a lot of problems. And
3: we send, what, two or three back a week?
2: Oh, at least. Yeah. I I forgot the exact numbers on it, but it's probably close to 15% of all the brand new parts come in don't even meet their specs. Right. Not even close. Airflow meters on General Motors cars, we were checking those. You'd have to go through three or four of them to find one to even test out to meet their specs. Right. Brand new out the box from General Motors. Now, if you go and buy this white box junk from a parts store.
3: There's no telling what you're going to do. Probably
2: close to 70 or 80% of it doesn't meet their specs.
3: And you put it on, and then you you still got the same problem. You put
2: that on, you still got the same problem because the part's bad. You say, well, that's not it, so let me go change this, 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 this. Right. Well, now you go and spend $1,000 on other stuff. That you didn't need. Eventually, you throw your hands up, you tow it in the shop, and they say, well, it's this part. No, that's a new part. Well, guess what? Yeah. (laughs) It's a bad part. Part's bad and it's possible it's very you, possible well, we see it all the time the average do it has absolutely no way to test the part no how would you test an airflow meter unless you've got a digital lab scope and you know what the pattern's supposed to look like and you that's, know how to test it that's it and on and on and on and on on, you have no way to test it so all you can do is put it on and then you assume it's good which is a very very dangerous assumption in this world today that's it and same situation with rebuilt parts we see all the time where people will put a part on and they'll say well it's still doing the same well yeah it's because you put another bad one on there yeah and well i changed it twice well i don't care how many times it. <laughs> yeah. it's still only putting out 100 pounds and it's got to put out 600 pounds to have power steering exactly you know or, or whatever the, the part might be so the thing is you just really 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 up against it unless you've got a awful lot of knowledge and the proper equipment and the knowledge to use the equipment Because Mm -hmm. I could give the average person every piece of equipment we got at Aco and it still couldn't fix the car because they don't know how to use it. They don't have the knowledge. They don't know how the system's supposed to work. Right. And without all of that information, it is just way, way, way cheaper to bring it to someone who knows what they're doing, have them diagnose the problem. Then if you want to fix it, that's fine. Take it home and fix it yourself. Uh But bring it to someone who can tell you what it is because the only purpose in diagnosis is because it's way cheaper than swapping out parts.
3: Sure. And, you know, we took a Toyota and we took a Chevrolet, mm-hmm. put them side-by-side side and created the same problem mm-hmm. on them. That's right. And got two different codes out of them. Well,
2: that's right. One of them, your Chevrolet is going to set an airflow meter code because it's got too much air going into it. It's not the amount the airflow meter is supposed to have. Right. The Toyota sets an oxygen sensor code because it says the mixture's is too lean. So and how that's how about, not the problem with either one of them. That's it's right. a vacuum leak. <laughs> so you go put four oxygen sensors on this car and you go you buy some of t- those cheap junk white box yeah, oxygen sensors. Sensors, well, now you do have a problem because yeah. they're not reading right. Now it starts throwing out catalytic converter codes and everything else because the oxygen sensors aren't working. Exactly. So on and on and on you go. You've, you've remember, got to know
3: how the the, pro, the systems are programmed because the Chevrolet is not programmed the same way as the right. Toyota. Well, or, or, two Chevrolet's
2: are not programmed. Exactly. <laughs> it's like Dr. Deming always said, you can't dig yourself out of a pit with a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> All you do is dig yourself deeper in. That's it. Let's go to our phone line with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Uncle. Yes, sir. Good morning. Earlier, you were talking about uh, talking to some man about power steering. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Of course, there's all kinds of brand names. Do you necessarily need to get it from the dealer? No, so you just need to use the right thing because some of them use power steering fluid. Some of them use ATF, whether it's Dexron or Mercon or whatever. And some of them use their own special power steering fluid. For instance, a Honda has their own Honda brand power steering fluid, which is different from everything else. General Motors is generally going to use power steering fluid. Ford uses a combination of either power steering or ATF. Chrysler does the same thing. Toyota uses ATF in just Mm -hmm. about everything they got. So you got to just make sure you're getting the right thing that goes in it. And a lot of them are going to give you like a GM part number, but it's just regular power steering fluid. Mm -hmm. You can generally read on the back of the bottle of the fluid you buy, and it'll say meets GM spec, yeah, 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 yeah. And as long as that's the case, then that's good. But – Most of your General Motors products are going to take just regular power steering fluid. It's more or less like a 10-weight oil is what they're using. How about a Ford? Ford could either be power steering fluid or Mercon ATF, depending on which one it is. Basically, if you pull the stick out and it's red, it's going to be Mercon. If you pull the stick out and it's clear, it looks like oil, it's going to be power steering fluid. And it'll generally say on the cap, use Mercon 5 or use Mercon such and such or it'll say use power steering fluid
3: okay so uh, uh, it so says large. use
2: power steering fluid on a ford it'll be just regular power steering fluid they don't have any specific fluids okay so uh, as long as it doesn't matter what brand you buy as long as it's compatible with what you got that's exactly, exactly. right and okay, and the owner's c- manual should tell you that it should yes sir and we use the mercon 5 in all of the fords that take mercon fluid
3: and mercon is a synthetic base
2: right fluid. mercon 5 is a synthetic fluid so it's fine. It holds up a little bit better. and It supersedes all the other. You, know, you started out with Mercon back in the 60s, I guess, and it went Mercon 3, 4, 5, on up. Each one supersedes the last one. It exceeds it. Uh, so if you're using Mercon, yes, they're all yes, compatible. Sir. If you use Mercon 5, it's going to basically exceed the, the requirements of any of the other ones. All right. Okay, Alrighty. thank you. All right, sir, thank you. Ah, If you are to part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
0: Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues, and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be
1: great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat-up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate... Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean, vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle.
0: Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
2: Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. i got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here with me. Between two of us, I believe we can answer just about any questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Go and give us a try. <laughs> there you go.
3: Yeah, turn the mic on. Now, now, All you, right.
2: go. now you got the Aldazan syndrome. <laughs> Forget what button to push, man. <laughs> I've been doing this show, I think, since 1991. And I still push the wrong button. button every week. Yeah. Every week I push the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get it down, though. You think? Eventually. <laughs> That's right. Let's go back to our phone. I've got Floyd online. Good morning, Floyd. Yes, good morning. Yes, good sir. Good morning. Yeah. I'm trying to do some breaks on a Lexus Okay. GX 470. Yes, sir. And I was curious as to what are the best pads for this? Go back to Lexus, buy theirs. Buy theirs? Yes, uh-huh. sir. <laughs> there, There's absolutely nothing even close to as good. And they're uh-huh. fairly reasonably priced. Oh, okay.
3: Those pads should come with all the clips and retainers, and they're actually going to come with a packet of grease. Right. Uh-huh. The grease goes on the back of the brake pad on the steel side right. mm-hmm. between the shim and the right. pad, and then on the back of the shim between the shim and the caliper. Right.
2: So, okay. So, so we'll, make sure it gets on there. Excellent, excellent, excellent pad. Much, much superior to anything else out there. They don't squeak. They don't squeal. They last a long time. They, they don't, warp, don't the warp the rotors. Your rotors. You go buy those junk aftermarket pads, and six months from now, yeah. you get a bad shake when you hit the brakes. Now you got to buy two rotors. Plus another set a, of pads. And another right. set of pads. And the right pads. Yeah. A set of Lexus pads probably be in the 60 to $70 range, which is right in line with everybody else's. Yeah.
3: They're well worth it. Yeah.
2: Well, well, well worth going. We don't use anything but the original equipment pad. Much, okay. much, much better product. One last thing too, Floyd, if you're not replacing the rotors on the car, if they don't need replacing, what you need to do is get you some hot, soapy water and wash those rotors down real good on both sides okay. and then right. clean them off, dry them, and put them all back together because there's a certain amount of dust and stuff that comes from the old pad and kind of bonds itself to the face of that rotor. So all you right. want to clean those rotors up. That way, you, when you get your new pad, you don't have that any cross-contamination. Okay all right I right. we'll appreciate it thank all, you right, thank you all, right you. all right thank you Bye now bye all right You want to be part of the automotive hour we would love to have you toyota and honda i find they are very reasonable on their maintenance parts uh-huh some of their stuff like their electrical parts man they're they're right up there with everybody else right. but when it comes to their maintenance type parts i guess they're trying to encourage maintenance i don't know but they're pretty reasonable on that stuff i bought a set of brake pads for a chevy what was it?
3: 06 Silverado? Yeah,
2: 06 Silverado the other day, $229 for a set of brake pads.
3: That's right. They did come with the clips. Yeah. <laughs> and they did come with the, uh, the come replacement with little, they bolts. They ought to come
2: with a little guy to put them on. <laughs> <laughs> but I can remember not very long ago, I guess five, six years ago, when those pads were in the $50 to $60 range yeah. on the older trucks, these don't look that much difference, and they're 200 plus. Most Ford brake pads are 100 plus. Yeah. Chrysler, same way. Man, they are just ridiculous on that stuff. Most of your Honda original equipment pads, 50 to $70, and most of your Toyota, 50 to $70 range. Uh, they, even your Lexus, uh, yeah. $70. And, and a, they come with everything. Comes with everything, and it's an excellent, excellent product. Just never really have any trouble out of those.
3: No, not hardly ever have any trouble.
2: Mm hmm. So always check because a lot of people have this misconception in their mind that, well, yeah, I would like to use the original parts, but it just costs so much. I'm going to have to save some money. I'm going to go to this other junk. Well, number one, you're not going to save any money because you're going to have to eventually go back and get the right stuff anyway. Uh-huh. Because your wife is gonna rag on you until you do because the brakes are squealing and shaking and carrying on. That's it. So you end up doing it right anyway, but why throw away all the money on this junk first plus wipe out a set of rotors? Yeah, and for no you know, reason.
3: Most of your do it yourselfers are on mm-hmm. a weekend when everybody else is closed except the cheap parts houses. Right. So well, there's a reason you why kinda, they open on weekends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you gotta kinda expect that if you're gonna use your dealer to well, get some parts, and you you know what you most want most of them are open on Saturday for a few hours.
2: Some of them are open Saturday mornings, and if not, what you can always do, one Saturday, go ahead and pull the wheels off, see what all you need, make yourself a list, then during the week, run on by there and pick up your parts.
3: Exactly, because well, a lot of them are open way after 5 right, o'clock.
2: Well, well worth the little inconvenience of doing that. Oh, most me.
3: definitely. You'll save yourself a lot of aggravation later down the road with it.
2: Oh, sure. That's one of the biggest things that... I know we at Agco, we have solved so many problems by doing nothing more than taking off a bunch of junk aftermarket stuff and putting the right OEM parts on there.
3: That's right. Straighten it out and it's, it's done. That's right. Yeah. Now, now costs, the problem solved. costs a little more up front, right. but you don't have the aggravation later.
2: And not always. Sometimes I've, I've seen where the original part was less than the aftermarket part. Uh-huh. I don't want to paint all aftermarket parts with a broad brush because there are some aftermarket parts which exceed... The OEM part, almost definitely, particularly on American cars.
3: Yeah, there's a company out there that takes a component and they find the flaws in it, right, and re-engineer it to get rid of the flaws. Well, sure, and it's a whole lot better than what you're going to buy from the dealer. That's
2: right. Well, like Moog front end parts, for instance. Moog is one of those companies that. In their premium line, those parts are better than the original equipment part. Oh, definitely. Now, you got to watch, too. Moog has started making a second line now that, for some other people, if you look on it, will say made by Moog. Right. But it's not the premium line. It's some kind of important so, truck they're off. sticking their name on, right? like everybody else is getting in on that bandwagon. And that's not a really, in my opinion, not a, a true Moog part. But there's several companies. We see that a lot on automatic transmissions where, like, GM has the 4L60E. Which has a number of known problems. Uh-huh. If you get 120,000 miles out of one of those transmissions, you've done pretty darn good because the reaction shell breaks in them. Well, you lose second gear, you lose reverse. That is a such a common issue that there are companies who have come out with a billet steel reaction shell to fix that problem. Right. Now, GM has been using the same part since 1982.
3: Yeah, when they first came out with that transmission. Yeah,
2: and it's still putting it in there. They still break, and it's a spun-weld part, which means they took two pieces, they pushed them together, they spun them until they got hot and welded itself together or gristled up together. Just about every one of them at some point in time, wham, it breaks. You lose second gear, you lose reverse. Here it comes towing it in. Well, we know what that is.
3: Well, a lot of them go out before the reaction shell breaks. Yeah. Some, and something something else they, will break in. when they get rebuilt, they get the updated reaction well, shell. Well,
2: that's right. If you go to a shop that's doing a quality rebuild, they're going to put the updated parts. I know every one we do, if we do a 4L60E, it's getting a billet steel reaction shell. Exactly. Along with a five gear planetary. It's going to get aluminum accumulator pistols instead of the plastic ones that GM use constantly.
3: Right. It's going to be a much better unit well, that's than right. it was originally.
2: Well, that's why we give you a three year, 50,000 mile. My warranty on our transmissions because you're not ever going to have to see you again for that car. Right. We can fix all those problems. we got a long standing track history. We know what's going to break. Here. Oh, yeah. So do a rebuild. It's more than just go in and change the parts that are now broken. You also change the parts you know are going to break. Exactly. See those cars come in with 50,000 miles on them, whining because the front sprags come apart. Well, at that point, you put a sprag in it, you put some seals in it, but you also go ahead and change the reaction shell, change the planetary that's going to tear up. For well, sure. Change all the parts you know are going to break. Well, now you got a transmission that lasts you 300,000 miles. Exactly. Or more.
3: Or more. So,
2: <laughs> Let's go back to our phone lines. guy. have got Russ online. Good on, morning, Russ. Good morning, sir. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. Quick question. I was a 2004 Explorer. Uh
1: huh.
0: About a month and a half ago, the check engine light came on. Okay. We had it checked it was a number three misfire. Okay. Change the plug. Uh uh-huh. Change the wires. Uh uh-huh. And if it's still doing so, change the rotor,
2: tripper rotor. Yeah, that's not gonna be it though.
0: Well, it stayed off about a month and a yeah. half.
2: Yeah, yeah. May go off for temporarily, but if it's the rotor, it's not gonna miss on one cylinder because okay. you got the same rotor going around every cylinder. Right. Okay. So you know, if, if the rotor's bad, it's gotta miss. It can't miss on one cylinder. Are you getting any other codes with that, Russ? Sure. Oh, like a there, lean right code see that's the problem with a code reader it's not going to tell you all that what you need is a forward scan tool and you can go into what they call mode six and you can see what they call the fuel trim and all that chances are if you're getting rich fuel trim in other words the engine is attracting fuel well now we got a misfire and ignition somewhere because every time it misfires an extra charge of gas goes into the cat and that's what sets that code if you Got lean fuel trim on it. Well, now we're looking at a fuel system type problem. You could have an injector that's going bad or something like that. Now, the code that's in there now is still the P0300? Yes, sir. Uh, 303, rather? Yeah, 303. What yeah, 303. I would like do that. next on that thing, Russ, if you're pretty handy, is pull the injector on cylinder number three and move it to, like, number one and put number one in number three. Okay. And then go drive it and see if the code still comes back on three or if it moves to one. Okay. If it moves to number one, change the injector. Okay. Because we've changed a number of injectors on those. But you don't want to just go buy a $100 injector for no reason. So that's okay. a way you can test it. You see, it's pretty easy. It may take you half an hour, 45 minutes to swap those injectors. If it does not move, the next thing you need to do is check compression on that cylinder. Okay. Make, make sure you got good compression on that cylinder because you could have something like a valve spring that's broken or bad or... A cylinder that's getting weak, or any number of internal engine problems, that can also cause that kind of thing. Okay. So there's a couple of simple tests for you, and that'll narrow it down considerably.
0: Yeah, I'll start with the injector. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that right there first, switch them around. Okay, man. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. For us. Bye-bye.
2: Bye-bye. All right, we still got a couple of minutes. If you want to try to get in, I also want to remind everybody about the website. That is just a great, great resource for folks and it's not going to give you a specific fix necessarily in order to do this do this do this what it's going to do is explain to you how things work so that you can figure out what's wrong right in other if you know how say caster camber and toe works and you've got wear on the outside of your left front tire now you pretty much know what needs to be done to fix it now obviously you don't have a alignment machine you can't align it yourself but at least you know whether the guy who's doing the job is doing, doing it doing right a job. or you need to go find somebody else to do it. By giving you that kind of information, you can figure out for yourself what you need to do or at least figure out
3: what needs to be done. Yeah, or you need to yeah. go to get it done. And you won't be standing in the dark at the sales counter going, uh, okay. You know? <laughs> You'll know <laughs> well, what he's actually trying to explain say, to you.
2: Well, not only that, but you can be able to spot a shuckster real easy. Oh, yeah, real quick. Because a lot of guys who are in the automotive business don't know Nearly as much about a guy who's going to read this article. That's right. Knows about it. (laughs) So you can go in there and spot a chucklehead really quick. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Save yourself a bunch of grief. Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour.
3: We'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week.
2: That's right. And please refer as many friends as you can.
3: Get a whole list of people listening.
2: That's right. The more we get, the better it is. That's it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.